Good morning, St Saviours. We have two readings this morning. The first one is from Acts 15, verses 36 to 41, and the second is from Timothy 2, 4, verses 9 to 11. Disagreement between Paul and Barnabas. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit all the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in their work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus. But Paul chose Silius and left, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Personal remarks. Do your best to come to me quickly, for Damas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonia. Circeans has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. This is the word of the Lord. Good. Excellent. Lovely to be with you. Everybody online, those of you here obviously in person. And um, what has Rebecca got us into this morning with these readings? She's introduced us to one almighty row. Okay, this is a real belter. Absolute humdinger. So we have... Paul and Barnabas from this passage from Acts, the first passage that Rebecca has read to us this morning. These two guys absolutely committed to helping establish and nurture and encourage the first uh, churches, the first followers of Jesus in the years immediately after Jesus' death. Um, both Paul and Barnabas were engaged in working together to do that. And then they had this almighty falling out mega bust up. Sure you've never been involved in anything like this, but they really went for it. They couldn't talk together, they couldn't work together, they couldn't travel together, so they went their separate ways. And they went a long way separate. I mean, we find them in this place, Antioch, which if you're in the southern coast of modern-day Turkey or the northern, sorry, southern border or northern border of Syria, that's where you find them. One went to Cyprus, the other went south. Boom. Major problem. And then probably a couple of years later, something like that, uh, Rebecca read to us from this letter that Paul writes to Timothy. And Paul, by that stage, is in prison in Rome, suffering under the persecution of the utterly bonkers Roman Emperor Nero, uh, who was a pretty evil uh, guy. And, and you can still see, actually, he still has a few relationship issues. He doesn't fully get some of the life decisions that some of the people have made. But he talks in glowing terms about Mark, the source of the problem earlier on with Barnabas. So somewhere from this conflict, fallout mess, he's traveled a road to where he is speaking in glowing terms about Mark and many of the 
Scholars and what have you believe that there was not just restoration with Mark, but restoration with Barnabas. So that's what Rebecca's introduced to us to this morning. And so what we're going to unpack a little bit, what I'm going to invite you into is what do we do? What do you and I do when we are faced with people? They may be sitting behind you. They may be sitting in front of you. I don't know. You may find out over tea and coffee afterwards. What do you do with people who it turns out on something that you passionately care about, look at the world differently to you, interpret things differently to you, make life choices that are different to you, and encourage others to make life choices that are radically different to you? What do we, and you may find this with an individual, you may find it in your family, you may find it in your workplace, you may find it in groups or even nations, but what do you and I do when we're faced with that situation? And how do we travel this road from the mess to a place of restoration? Are you ready? Let's get into that. No personal counselling here. Uh, you can go and see Alan about that afterwards, but let's see what Jesus has got to say about this. Um, so here's the thing. Pretty much every religion or culture that I'm aware of believes in one way or another that if you mess up, if you fall short, if your behavior is evil, if you sin, whatever words work for you, then punishment is demanded. Retribution is required. And retribution is required in this world and very often in the world to come. And it's pretty be this kind of story, if you like, this economy of reward and punishment, reward and punishment, this system of merit is what I'm going to call it, has been passed on from generation to generation in legends, in stories, fairy tales, books, movies, you name it. You've watched the movies, you've read the books. There are the good guys and the bad guys, and the bad guys eventually get their comeuppance. And it is pretty much the best that criminal lawyers, courtrooms, prisons, wars, and maybe even one or two of us Christians can do. Because it makes perfect sense. It makes perfect sense to your ego. Say good morning to your ego. It makes perfect sense to your ego. It's just that it is not the way of Jesus. It is not the way of Jesus. Jesus introduces us to something completely radical and completely different and something that actually will present you and I, I think, certainly me, with considerable challenges. But it is an economy of grace. It is a system of grace. What exactly is this economy of grace? 
Let's go back to the cross. When Jesus hung on that cross, nailed to that cross, Jesus stood or hung in perfect solidarity with every life that's ever been lived, that's been characterized by pain and suffering, solitariness, brutality, whatever. Jesus hung in perfect solidarity. And Jesus was the stand-in for everybody. He was the stand-in for everybody. And in the resurrection, in the resurrection comes Jesus' response to what we did to him. His response unconditional love, complete acceptance, completely upside down and the wrong way round, because it makes no sense to your ego. Let's just go back to the cross, because here, as Jesus was the standing example of representing all of us who have suffered. And yet here it was that Jesus, actually he stood up against the religious authorities of the day. He stood against their prejudice and judgment and many other things. He stood against the religious authorities of the day. He also stood against the government of the day the military-backed Roman administration with all their cruelty and unaccountability. He stood against them. And then when Pilate, representing the Roman government, the government of the day, when Pilate turned to the crowd, that's you and I, by the way, when he talked to the people and he said, who shall I crucify? Shall I crucify Barabbas? convicted murderer, revolutionary? Or shall I crucify Jesus? What did the crowd shout? Crucify Jesus. Crucify Jesus. And so we did. Jesus on the cross, the standing example of what we do to each other and what we do to ourselves. And then comes the resurrection, comes the resurrection when Jesus' response to what happened is unconditional love and complete acceptance. This is grace. This is the economy of grace, the system of grace. And as I said a moment or two ago, it makes no sense whatsoever to your ego. You remember, you said hello to your ego earlier. It makes no sense to your ego, but it makes perfect sense to the spirit. 
the Holy Spirit, which is absolutely the character of God. Father God, the Son Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit that God has placed in each one of us. It makes perfect sense to the Spirit. But here's the thing. You and I might not like being God's chosen vehicle to extend the hand of grace to others. We may not like it, but God knows that we find that hard. He knows. In fact, he gave us a book. He gave us a book that bears his name, that tells a story that is partly your story and my story. And if we go back to the Old Testament, we find the book that bears his name, and we find the man called Jonah. Many of you will have heard of Jonah. Some may not. It doesn't matter. But Jonah's story goes like this. God says to Jonah, I see you, Jonah, and I have a plan for you. I want you, Jonah, to be my vehicle to show grace to a bunch of people that live in a place called Nineveh. They've made some shocking life choices. They're messing up their lives. They're being cruel to one another. They've lost it. I want to show my love, my grace to them, and I want you to travel the road to go and tell them. The same journey that Barnabas and Paul would have to travel to go from conflict and unresolved conflict to restoration. And what does Jonah say? Because the thing is, the people of Nineveh are the enemies and have treated badly, oppressed, assaulted and attacked Jonah's people. And Jonah says, no thank you God. You may want to show them mercy and grace, but not them. Just not them. Not me to go to them. No, I can't. Not me. But God says, but Jonah, you are my chosen vehicle. Come. He gets him there. But even when he gets in there, Jonah is one of the grumpiest people in the Bible. Jonah doesn't like it, doesn't want to be there, does not want to extend God's unconditional love to these people, not them. God understands it can be hard for you and I to extend the hand of grace to those to whom might have brought us grief and suffering and pain. This is the unbelievable thing about God's grace. Honestly, I think until you and I have experienced that personally, I don't think much about Christianity makes much sense. But that is God's heart. It takes us to a place that we can't, I think, go on our own. Many of you will know the moving story of Corrie ten Boom from the book The Hiding Place. It's been told a thousand times. But let's just take ourselves back. Here was Corrie ten Boom, survivor of the concentration camp at Ravensbrück where her sister died. 
who after the war takes God's message of forgiveness to hundreds of people at thousands of meetings. And then on one occasion, a man walks up to her after the meeting and she realizes she's standing face to face with one of the former guards of Ravensbrook. And he thanks her for her message of forgiveness and extends his hand to shake hers. And she retells the conversation in her head at that moment. She retells the story of Jonah that's part of your story and mine. Jesus, not him. Not him. Not, not him. So much pain. So much suffering. My sister who I left behind. Not him. And she describes as she's telling Jesus how she feels, she somehow sees her arm coming up, extending to shake this man's hand. It is the system of grace. It is the economy of grace. It is unconditional love and complete acceptance. It is unbelievable. I think we can only go there if we truly let everything go. If we let everything go. Because the extraordinary thing about God's grace is it doesn't just liberate the person to whom grace is being showed. It liberates the person giving it. That too can be a hard road. I was discussing just a week or two ago with somebody here a phrase that I've heard people use before and I understand its origin. I understand the logic. It's when I heard somebody say, but I love the person, but I hate the sin. It's just I don't think that's God's grace. It sounds logical. It makes perfect sense to your ego. But you see, the thing is, if I say that to you, I elevate myself. I love you, the person, but I bind you. I bind you and I judge you. God's grace liberates both. Liberates us all. So as I conclude, I just leave you with these thoughts. Jesus' response to what we did and what we have done is unconditional love, complete acceptance. Secondly, God knows that you may find extending God's hand of grace to others, you might find it hard. It's okay. It could take time. It's okay. And remember, you are liberated through God's grace as well as others. As Kirsty and the band come back, let me pray. Let me invite you, as Jesus invites us all, into that place of grace. Let's pray.
Lord Jesus Christ. This economy of grace, this unconditional love, this complete acceptance of everybody. Thank you. Thank you for your love for each one of us. And I pray now, as much for myself as for everyone else, Father, where we feel the pull, the pull to seek retribution, help us to see your loving hand that seeks to restore, to restore, to make whole. Lord Jesus, help each one of us when we are faced with those to whom you call us to extend your hand of grace. Help us, Lord, to let everything go. Help us to tell you how we feel. We may need to rage at you. We may shed tears. Father, we will have to give ourselves to you. Help us, Lord. I pray to help those that need your love to let go of hurts and pain and suffering. Help us to tell you. Help us, Lord Jesus, to let go of everything and to let you lead us as only you can. Holy Spirit, lead us into a place, I pray. Lead us into a place where we can be the means by which people are restored through your love, through your acceptance. Come, Lord, I pray. Be with us now. Be with us now.